0: How about these battling bucks? Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second, one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Going to try and score, no, he's held up, but now they've got a double play chance. Rodriguez will throw to second, here comes the throw back to the plate, and they do it. What a job, what a job. Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second, one. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castrugano, back on the show. Joining me this week to talk prospects, writer for Bucks on Deck Substack, Anthony Murphy. Murph, welcome back. How are you doing today?
1: Doing doing good. Glad to finally uh, get a chance to come back on here with you.
0: Yeah, always appreciate having you on. Last time we talked about Greensboro and expectations Mm -hmm. for the season ahead with the Grasshoppers uh, last spring training, I think. So I think I've got a number of players today who have at least spent some time in Greensboro. And I know that's that's a team you you get to see maybe more than the others, but I'm loving that you're keeping with the Bradenton hat. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, that's the that's the go to thing right now.
0: If them. you guys are watching on video, <laughs> that the Marauders with the gold B is my favorite of all the farm team logos. Yeah. Oh yeah, by far. By far. All right, so looking back at this week, it was a busy week for baseball and the Pirates. Big news for Pirates fans, obviously, the signing of flamethrowing lefty reliever Araldis Chapman returns to the NL Central after winning the World Series with the Texas Rangers and fellow Pirate, Martin Perez. So Chapman signed to a one-year deal, $10.5 million, highest free agent signing of Charrington's tenure so far. Uh uh, 3.09 ERA, 58.1 innings last year between Kansas City and uh, the Rangers. Still posting elite velocity, strikeout rates, controls a bit iffy. It's always been a bit iffy. Uh, Murph, you wrote about what Chapman brings to the team with Bucks on deck. Is he worth the amount that they're paying for him and the expectations, given that he is theoretically just stepping into a setup role? I think I think a way that
1: you can look at it also is what he does to help uh, David Bednar as well as far as taking a little bit pressure off of him to where like, you know, we won't have to see as many um, back-to-back save nights, even like the rare back-to-back-to-back kind of games. We can uh, take some pressure off the arm and hopefully there isn't as, you know, Bednar's had a couple of those hiccup stints and stuff like that to where you know, you could tell he's a little bit gassed and, and and whatnot. So I I think maybe maybe it's kind of for the position the Pirates are in, kind of weird to sign a reliever for ten and a half million dollars when he's not going to be your closer. But when you think about what else he can provide as far as depth and experience and stuff like that, I I, I mean, on the baseball side of things, I don't I don't think you can really argue this as a uh, as as a bad signing for it. I think I think it really does help. The uh, depth and
0: experience factor as well. Yeah. I mean, the big thing, and you hit on it, was that Chapman has experience closing games. He can close games so that Bednar doesn't need to go two, three, four games in a row. Holderman mm-hmm. has closed games before. It uh, doesn't have nearly as much experience as the other two, but that's three pretty well above average uh, back end relievers that they have there in that 789 spot. So, I. As far as solidifying it, the the hope, obviously, that they add to the rotation, possibly, you know, a a center fielder or something like that. But, like, the bullpen is looking like one of the best in baseball. We saw, I think it was the Cubs signed Hector Neris either today or yesterday, and that was, like, $9 And he's not, you know, even close to the quality, in my mind, as uh, Chapman, who had, like, a 33% strikeout rate last year. Something like that. It was, like, second best. Yeah. Something uh second best behind Felice, uh, Felice uh, Bautista of the Orioles, so mm-hmm. it's definitely a big signing, big swing. So, if oh, yes, yeah. came way if, out, if came out of the, the field, field there with it, yeah. And that's the thing, <laughs> then and this is kind of going to go off topic, but everyone's like, oh, this rumor about the Pirates being connected to this past week, Michael Lorenzen, which has been talked about a lot, Noah Cindergaard, which is a new one. Everyone's like, oh, are they going to? I have never had in my memory with Charrington a signing that happened that rumors were like occurring regularly leading up to it. Like Touch came out of left field, Martin Perez came out of left field, Chapman obviously. Touch the first time, not this past time. This past time everybody knew. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was a different kind of secret. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah,
1: so I guess if it's a rumor, um, then just throw it out the window.
0: It's probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on the more national stage this past week, Hall of Fame, Class of 2024 announced, joining former Buck skipper Jim Leland in Cooperstown, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Todd Helton. Hearing those names for me brings back a lot of nostalgia from uh, being a kid, trying to draft them in my fantasy leagues. Um, <laughs> a number of players, though, on the ballot who I also like when I I played fantasy back in, like, high school, uh, fell short of the 75% required for entry. Obviously, guys like Gary Sheffield, it was last year on the ballot. Billy Wagner just fell short on his ninth year. So, Murph, you and I, obviously not members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, but if you were, do you Mm -hmm. feel like the voting process and entrance to the hall have been valid? Is, Is there anything that you think is... Uh, if you can, if you're able to speak freely about how you feel on that, the voting process I, the only, and how people vote. The
1: only thing that I, I don't like, and I don't know how much it's still a thing, but like you hear the talk about, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Is he, you know, is he going to have to wait a couple years? I, I, like to, to me, I feel like, like what, what changes in, in that standpoint? Like, I, I mean, if he's a Hall of Famer, now you know if he's a Hall of Famer when he retired, like there isn't going to be any difference in it down down the road. So so the whole oh uh, well the whole thing with like some writers uh, supposedly like not voting for people on the first ballot just as a just as a a, a thing that that's done. I'm I'm not an overly big fan of that. I just I kind of feel like like if if he's a Hall of Famer, put put him put him in. If if but if like if you're making like if it's a legit debate that you're having kind of back and forth and something's changed or you've heard like a specific argument as to why they should get in and then you change your vote over the next couple of years I mean that's one thing but to kind of like withhold a vote from someone just because like that I that's the big thing that I I'm not a fan of and also like it feels it does feel like maybe. There, there's some writers who still have votes that that haven't covered the game in, in some time, and I kind of think that's, like, it, there, there should be some sort of requirement. You, you should have to cover the team, or cover a team, or cover the sport, or something like that
0: regularly to be able to to vote. That's that's my big thing with it. Yeah, so. definitely a lot of old man ballots coming out, and yeah, uh, I saw one guy, he said he's only voting for Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. Those were his two. I don't think he like had his ballot public and I don't remember who it was off the top of my head, but I was like, I mean, mm-hmm. those two are great, but like those two, and not Beltre, those two, and not yeah. Andrew Jones. Like it, it's just, I don't know. It, it It's weird how guys end up in the hall over some other, like also not always equally, but also admirable picks. And the whole steroid thing, I mean, who knows how they're going to handle that long term. Yeah, I, I, I get that part of it. It's just, I
1: like, and I, I think, I think with the way that the, a lot of the stuff is worded, it is like leaves too much open for interpretation. And that maybe some people can use that openness with how the stuff is worded to kind of take it in that direction, like you're talking about. So I, I think maybe if there's a way to kind of come together and come up with like a concrete wording and how the process is done. I think we could kind of eliminate a a lot of, a lot of that stuff with it.
0: Yeah. And hopefully they figure something out with that, but I think more to your point, the old men who are no longer covering the game and don't, don't vote, don't like submitting blank ballots. That's frustrating. So getting uh, more into your wheelhouse this past week, we've been getting tidbits of top prospects at valid, at uh, each given position, Pirates had type right, top mm-hmm. right-handed pitcher Paul Skeens, top second baseman in Tamar Johnson, and six, uh, fifth best left-handed pitching prospect in Anthony Salamito. Top 100 prospect list dropped Friday night. Pirates came out with five, tied for third most behind the Cubs, who had seven, Orioles had six. I think we're tied with the Reds and Padres, also both had five. Maybe it might not have I been. No, I think it was three. the Padres. Yeah, I so above Chandler at ninety. Yeah. Bubba Chandler at 93, Salomedo at 82, Jared Jones at 62, Jamar Johnson 44, Paul Skeens at number three. So were you surprised with the order or position for these prospects?
1: I can like if you're talking about order of like the pirates in general, I can kind of I can kind of see I this that's the kind of order that I expected. I kind of expected those five to come go in order. I was kind of up in the yeah. air as whether or not like Bubba Chandler would be on the list initially. I mean, like obviously he closed, he closed the season really well and I've been really high on him and stuff like that. I just didn't know, I couldn't get a feel of where like pipeline felt on him. So I wasn't sure if he was going to be like towards the end of the list or if he was going to be like one of the first people cut off. But obviously he made the list. Um I, I, I know I know Pirates fans they, they they love their Paul schemes and all that already. I thought three was a little high for him based off of like some of the other names that are up there. I mean, he was higher sure. than Evan Carter, who who did really well. He was batting in the middle of the, the order for the um World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Uh, we saw how good Wright yeah. Langford did. Um it was it was just a little shock. I mean, he's the top right-handed pitching prospect in the game and pipeline has been higher on him than uh any i think any other of the the prospect sites and stuff like that so i guess with pipeline it it, it probably wasn't that much of a surprise but it was probably higher than where i would put him
0: and he was the top pitching prospect by a wide margin because the yeah, next, the, highest next was in like the 20s 25 i want to say with kyle harrison yeah. And he's left-handed hit pitcher, so I don't know when the yep. next right-handed pitcher was, but like they are really high on him.
1: Oh yeah, they, they, and, they gave um, him—they gave him the- an eighty-grade fastball.
0: Um,
1: yeah, they, they pipeline pipeline loves them. Some Paul Skeens, which I know Pirates
0: fans love they, but they—they they love they love them. Some Paul Skeens there. Pirates fans, I'll say, general Pirates fans love Paul Skeens. I feel like based on conversations I've had with you, I know you were on uh, NS9 last week or a week Mm -hmm. and a half ago Uh, for you. Who do you think has a long-term better career between the three top right-handed pitchers for the pirates, Jared Jones, Paul Skeens, or Bubba Chandler? I, I
1: think, I think you could probably, if you want to play the safe game, obviously the answer is Paul Skeens. I think where the advantage that he has obviously is that, you know, he's coming out of college He's a lot more advanced. Uh, yeah, like I think I think I've been harder on him than than others when it comes to like the fastball stuff and everything like that. As far as the shape and everything like that, but if you if you can go out there and and locate 98 miles an hour on, on the dot consistently, then then you're gonna 98 to 100. Yeah, you obviously, like we've seen him hit top 100 like a lot. So yep. if you could do that and hit your spots and all that stuff, that, that helps cover up for a lack of a fastball shape and, and that kind of stuff. It's it's where he starts missing and and if – just if the hitters can catch up. To, I mean, we see Hunter Green threw more 100-mile-an-hour fastballs than anyone in, in baseball last year, and he still got beat up pretty pretty hard. That's where the location comes into the fact that I would say Skeens has better – command of the fastball than hunter, hunter green does. But I I think if you want to play it safe, I'd have no problem. And I wouldn't I wouldn't argue too hard if you wanted to say that Schemes probably has a could have a better career than them. I think Bubba Chandler has just as much upside as he does. There's there's still going to be some questions there as far as like the the secondary stuff and and how how if he can consistently stay with the control like he did towards the end, end of last year. But I, I'm pretty sure I said it on NS9 uh, when I was on there, and, and I know I've written this before. I think that the gap between Bubba Chandler and Paul Skeens is, is a lot closer than people recognize, or maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say willing to admit, but I, I think it's a lot closer than, than a lot of people will say. And if if there's a guy that, if Skeens slips and isn't quite what they everyone thought he was, I, I don't I very much can easily see it to where like Bubba Chandler has
0: the the, the better career of of the three of them. So. Okay. Now, and obviously, because those are going to be in my top 10, we're not going to be talking about them this week on the list. So I just wanted to talk about them now because otherwise, you know, I don't know when I'll be able to see you, have you on, talk about them again. <laughs> where, where does Jared Jones fit into that conversation and how high is the risk that he ends up like be, because of the control issues, it ends up as a bullpen arm.
1: So the biggest like uh, I I went and I got a chance to see Jared Jones pitch in Richmond last year, and these stuff this stuff is electric. Like it, it's it's as advertised in, in person, um, and he did really well down the stretch. He like he it took him a while to kind of figure out AAA, but his last couple of starts looked looked really good. The the concern that I have about the, the last couple starts was he really started to ditch the secondary stuff, and he became almost eff- effectively just a fastball slider guy. And, and like I know, like some some guys can get away with that in the majors. The, I feel like the the guys who can do that in the majors are more the exception than than anything else. So if if he puts a focus on on that secondary stuff going into next year, like we know the fastball and sliders there. If he goes out and strikes out a bunch of people right off the back with the fastball, I mean, people will like that because they'll see the strikeout numbers. But really, if if those secondary stuff can come, he, he can very much be like a very good starting pitcher. It's just the stuff when you look at it, it just kind of screams reliever. And he has a little bit of a smaller build, so you don't know if he – can hold up to an entire season. He's pitched 130, 140 innings, I think, each in the last couple of years. So he's already he's already stretched out further than you could probably anyone else in, in the minors that would be coming up next year. It's just how much is that secondary stuff gonna play for him at the next level? Is he gonna be able to command it and control it and 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 that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah. So he's definitely a top Arm and possibly someone who we see earlier than Skeens in 2024. Hopefully he's ready when that happens. But um mm-hmm. I'll be talking about him when we do the top 10 piece. We're doing 30 through 21, so let's get to that main part of the show. This is definitely going to take the longest. So I'm glad we pretty much flew through that first part. <laughs> top prospects 30 through 21. This is the third time that I've done this on the show. Typically, Ed and I make a list each, compare them. However, given that we have the opportunity to talk with people who are more closely following the prospects felt like it was in everyone's best interest for me to be able to pitch a name, give my thoughts on them. And then to have the guest of the week, basically rip it apart or uh, potentially (laughs) praise it. Never know. Maybe, maybe I I guess right on these 30 through 21. uh, It's a mystery. It's a lot of projection because these are going to be a lot of guys that are further down uh, the list as far Mm -hmm. as like, where they are in the farm system. So let's jump right into it. The first name I've got on this list is number 30, Josiah Seitler, listed as a first baseman and a DH, 15th round pick in 2022 out of University of South Carolina, 24 years old, listed at 6'3", 234. I think USC had him at like closer to 6'4", 6'5", something like that when I looked it up. So last year, 2023 was his first pro action. Played complex league, low A, high A, triple slash between those three levels, 311, 383, 526, 14 home runs in just 228 at-bats over 60 games. But they're kind of inflated because in Bradenton, he had a 1.454 OPS over his 18-game span there. Mostly younger competition, but as much as I hate to use the old school scout terms, the ball really explodes off his bat when you watch video of him. On YouTube, Um, he really, when he gets behind the ball, the outfielder doesn't even turn around. So, limited defensively, obviously, only being first base or DH. um, Needs to cut down on strikeouts, I think 28.7% during his time at Greensboro. Uh, But the power in my mind plays. So, I'm going to ask you is his production at Bradenton? replicable as he moves up the ranks or was that a flash in the pan against inferior competition
1: so i think the biggest thing that's going to come with siler is the the contact issues there's a lot of there's a lot of swing and miss there you can even like he still hit the ball really well obviously in in bradenton um you can see a little bit of it there kind of pop up now and again especially against like the off-speed and, and breaking pitches. There's a little swing and miss there. He got exposed a little bit more once he got into Greensboro with it. So I, with it, with him, it's the power is legit. If I remember correctly, his 95th percentile exit velocity was like second best in the system of all players that we were able to track as far as exit velocity numbers. I think like only Mason Martin had a higher uh, 95th, like a the percentile exit velocity. So, and we all know Mason Martin, as far as when it comes to power, there, there, yeah, there isn't many I better don't love than him problem. in the minors. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, he was all or nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there is a lot of that kind of risk with, with Seitler. I will say that he was a two-way player in, in college. He did pitch. So there, there, there is a lot of upside with the arm. I have seen some places throw out the possibility of him playing in like right field next year or this year coming up. Um, he had Tommy John surgery the previous year. That's why he didn't throw, and that's why he was limited, and that's why he got such a late start into the the last year. That's why he didn't play as much. So and so that was a big part why he only played first. So as he gets back and healthy and all that, I have seen it tossed out there that he might play in the outfield. So that would be something to watch and um, would expand the versatility and the the value a little bit on him. But for him, I re- it really comes down to the swing and miss if that if if as he moves up the ladder that becomes more prevalent obviously he's a little bit more limited if he can make those adjustments and stuff like that i mean the the power is legit i mean it doesn't matter what kind of competition you're facing if you're hitting the ball 110 miles an hour off the bat i mean that that plays everywhere
0: so do you think that he starts at greensboro for 2024 I can I can see a scenario
1: where he starts in Greensboro again. He didn't play, he wasn't there that long, and he did struggle a yeah. little bit there. I don't know if he was 100 percent healthy. Like you always have to take that into the risk back into consideration, um, especially how late of a seat, uh, he got a start he got. So I wouldn't be surprised if he started in Greensboro, um, and then maybe they they give him the quick push up to Altoona at some point midseason. But Greensboro seems like a good starting point for him. The power
0: is definitely gonna play there more than anything else. Oh, yeah. He'll be fun to watch.
1: He'll be fun to watch in Greensboro.
0: So yeah. All right. So moving on to number 29, uh favorite of mine and yours, Carlos Jimenez, right-handed pitcher, international free agent signing from 2018. Guy I've really liked over the years. Jimenez, he had some injury issues last season, only pitched a total of 13 innings, seven games between Complex and Bradenton. ERA with 21 strikeouts in that time, but had a 1.54 whip in part due to 15 walks issued. Only 21, one of the better change-ups of the system. I'm sure you'll talk about that. Upper 70s curve, fastball, that has reached 97. Long-term potential for bullpen due to these control issues. You and I have talked about our mutual fondness for Jimenez in the past. Where does he go from here? I think...
1: Jimenez is probably like obviously like he he's been a favorite of mine for for a couple a couple years now since I first watched him in, uh, in in Bradenton he may have the most extreme variance of like any pitcher in in the system right now because he he seems like a guy like if the control just kind of clicks he he's he's a starting pitcher in the major leagues and probably good he has potentially three three average to above average pitcher pitches at least. Also, his control right now is a twenty, and and a twenty on like the twenty to eighty grade. Like, yep. <laughs> there, there's there's also a very good chance he doesn't make it out of a ball with with that control. So, I mean, going from potential average major league starter to like a ball pitcher, that's that's kind of still where you're at with him with that. If it, if it clicks, and I saw some of him pitching in instructionals after the season. And, like, the fastball and curveball looked really good. Um, like, you saw the control things a little – you know, obviously the control thing there. But in the couple innings that I did see from there, it, it looked pretty good. So, he'll – this year will be a really big year for for him. He pretty much lost all of last year. Um, so, like, he had the – he's kind of young for his level kind of thing. You could almost make an argument that he – that. It may do him some good to start him back in Bradenton again, just to kind of get him the feel of going, uh, just to build some momentum and stuff like that. Also, he's the kind of guy that could probably get beat up pretty bad in, in Greensboro, so maybe you want to limit his exposure there. So, he, he he's a fun pitcher to watch when it's on, and I've I, you know I, I do like the recordings for for like my YouTube channel with him. His yep. sometimes his any a single inning that he pitches takes. Forever to get recorded and doing it because he's it's three walks, three strikeouts, kind of, kind of innings. So,
0: yeah. Uh, you're, I, and I was watching a lot of your YouTube clips in prepping for this just because I would just, I would just search on YouTube and yours would come up and I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. (laughs) So, if you guys aren't subscribed already, uh, what is it, Anthony Murphy? Uh, 388. yeah, something like I that. I haven't yeah. written It's whatever the, written down it's whatever the default
1: one that YouTube
0: gave me. <laughs> uh, yeah, three 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 eight. Anthony Murphy three three eight is what I've written down for it. So yeah, <laughs> so with Jimenez though, is it a repeatability issue with his wind up? Is it just like not being able to grip the ball? Pro- like, and I know, like you're not scout, you're not professionally training pitchers but like what is what is like the the vibe that is the issue with him having these control problems 20 greatest it, it does really bad it does kind
1: of seem like especially back when you go back and watch the video from him in Bradenton in 2022 there's there's a lot of movement a lot of movement going on in the delivery There's a lot of a little bit like of a violent finish to it um where it's kind of maybe gets a little bit herky-jerky so that I guess that could help, that could hurt with the um, repeatability and stuff like that. Well, what I will say about um, his stint in instructionals that I saw, it looked like he was going more out of the stretch, like full time, to maybe try to, you know, calm that down and stuff like that. It's something we we partially saw from like Jared Jones as well. He had more of like an overhead. And, everything was moving and stuff like that. And they kind of cut it down and broke it up into two pieces. uh, And that really helped with them. So that could be something they're trying to do with Demenez as well. Um, So, but it's, it seemed like it was just like a repeatability issue with it because some stuff would be perfect. And then the next thing would just be uh, anyone's
0: guess as to where it was going. Well, hopefully he figures it out. I think he's. this is the third year, maybe, he's on my list, probably around the same range just because of the control issues. But uh, next guy on my list, I think he's been in the same exact spot three straight years, and that's Po Yu Chen, ranking a pitcher, another international signing, kind of a trend for this week's episode, actually. Chen was inked out of Taiwan, July 2019, steadily moved up the ranks, spent all of 2023 high-A Greensboro, notoriously hit a friendly park, 4-4-4 ERA, over 119.2 innings. 124 strikeouts, 43 walks. Outside of a rough couple of games in the beginning and then a couple of games at the end, like the middle part, he was grade A grinder. May 11th through July 22nd, he pitched 11 games going at least five innings in each and a 3.06 ERA in that span. 68 strikeouts to 23 walks over 70.2 innings. Like most pitchers in Greensboro, got hit with the home run bug. Mentioned it's a home run park. He allowed 21 over the course of the season. I think 12 of them or 13 were at home. Doesn't have overpowering velocity, like low 90s, but he's got tenacity, is how I put it. Intriguing pitch mix. Uh, you, I, as I mentioned, you've got more video of Chen than anyone. So, is there is there something else there with Chen besides these like mid 4-4? ERA that he pretty much puts up every year at every level?
1: I, I mean, th- there are a lot of people who I think like Chan a little bit more than I do. Um, I think because I think the like initial reports that we got on him that we saw like more like mid 90s, we're hearing like more mid 90s fastball. And when when I first saw him pitch, it was like high 80s, low 90s. So it's kind of like, okay, well, where, where was the disconnect there? And then we saw him full season in, in Bradenton, and it ticked up a little bit. I mean, it's just not over. Like I I had a chance to see Chen as well in, in, in Greensboro. The fastball just isn't that in, impressive. And, you know, like we talked a little bit about like the shape and everything like that with skeins. Like I always like to put it like you can have a bad shape on your fastball if you have a lot of velocity and you're placing it. Or you can have like low velocity, lower velocity and good pitch shape it is someone like Thomas Harrington, who's like n- averages 92, 93, but his fastball metrics are like off the charts. Yep. But you can't have low velocity and, and bad fastball shape and that because that's just like a you're just kind of asking for trouble. And we saw like the, the problems Quinn Priester had in, in in the majors last year. A lot of that was due to low velocity and, and bad pitch shape. Uh, i kind of feel like chen chen's kind of in that same boat with it it's the the shape numbers and stuff like that aren't overly great and and the velocity isn't either uh, but like the thing that plays in this factor is he he can mix in it's like five or six pitches like the splitter is incredible um he has a curveball that, that's big looping old school kind of curveball slider cutter he can use all of them in almost any count so if, if if you want to give him like the upside of like a back of the rotation starter, I can I can probably see that because he can go out there and throw five, six, seven different kind of pitches on any given night. Um, I just I just like I'm less less higher on him than than I think others are. I, th- I think he's a really really solid pitcher and he pitched really well down down the stretch. It, it's just I think the upside is just a little bit more limited on someone like
0: Chen than, than others. So with someone who has that kind of pitch mix and we're we're seeing a lot of um obviously we've got some good fastballs in the system. We mentioned before with Skeens, Jared Jones, Chandler. How important is it to have a strong fastball to work off of if he has like a really good splitter, a really good curve, like all these other off-speed and breaking pitches, which notoriously you know, hitters are, are going to have a harder time with because they're so used to the fastballs, which is the majority pitch. Is it still the, much more important? Yeah, you still, I mean,
1: you still, like, even for someone like Chen who could throw, like, all those different kind of, like, off-speed and, and breaking pitches and everything like that, like, the the game I saw in Greensboro, they just, they didn't bite on the curveball. Uh, and if it's, or the slider, they weren't biting on anything else. And so if he has to throw the fastball in the zone, or if he's if he's having too much issue on a given night locating that kind of the, the other pitches, then it's just you got to have the fastball command there. You got to have the ability to make the miss, or at least have them put the ball in play on on in the dirt. So yeah, it's it's nice to have those pitches, but I, I think fastball and fastball command is still one of the most crucial factors with any kind of pitcher no matter what kind of
0: pitch arsenal you're, you're dealing with on there. So. Yeah, it definitely seems like it sets the framework for the rest of their stuff to, to kind of slow down, change eye level from. So we're going to pivot yeah. from pitchers with number 27, which is another international signing, but a trade deadline piece from last year, and that's Johnny Severino listed for third base and shortstop. Probably just going to be third base going forward. He was acquired as part of the trade, sending Carlos Santana to division rival Brewers last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, international signing just two years ago. He's only 19, listed at and eighty five pounds. Missed some time last year before the trade due to injury, but reports with the Pirates were excellent on his bat speed. ton of raw power, swing and miss risk as with any young international hitter. So uh, previously switch hitter, prioritized hitting right-handed recently, which is interesting. Good to make that move this early.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As I mentioned, it, shortstop, you signed as a shortstop, looking to move to third base full-time. Stats I have are only from Dominican Summer League and some complex play. Three, two uh, 237 career at-bats, 765 OPS. Uh, anything else fans should know about Severino?
1: I think the 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 one report that I did get Wilbur, who uh, which was Wilbur, who also writes for for the site. He 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 attends most of the uh, complex league games and stuff like that. Um, he was at his first game that he played, and he hit a home run. Um, so the the power's there. You could see the power in the swing and and hear the power. It's just I, I believe he was injured too, not too long after uh, joining the Pirates. So like our yep. our sample size of him has been very limited. But um I'll tell you what that uh, that Bradington infield is, for potentially this upcoming season looks very very um exciting if, he, if they decide to, to make it, give him the jump up there. So um, he's definitely one to watch down there just because of the power um, mm-hmm. It's just those kind of kids right now at that at that level and that age like, it's it's almost like the Carlos Jimenez thing with almost all of them. Like he can be a major league starter, or he can also be like he might not get out of a ball. So so he, he'll be definitely one to watch. He's he's very highly touted. It feels like across multiple sites. So a lot of sites like him. So he he, yeah. he could be just, definitely one to to watch this
0: year. Just with the age and the power yeah. upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it, but it's all just very projectable. Like uh, a lot of people last year, and he's still high on my list. But your uh, Donnie De Los Santos, <laughs> do you foresee Severino having a kind of come back to earth moment on that, where like Severino, it, it, it kind of feels like he's in that mold where he's going to potentially rise up the charts just based on projection, and then De Los Santos, I know he, and I, again, I'm I'm not mentioning him this week, but. Um, kind of felt like he didn't have a great season, had some health issues as well. Are there any comps mm-hmm. between the two? I, I feel like that
1: Severino probably is more of a, uh, more of the power over the hit as opposed to De Los Santos. Um, De Los Santos, like, I mean, he was 18, his entire entire in Brandon. So, so like, I'm, I'm, I, I try not to, Judge too harshly based off of like the numbers and stuff like that. We get back from, from him in those situations, but the like, exit velocity numbers were not, not very impressive for based off of the kind of reports. I think it was fan that like threw him, like he was like 10th, 11th or 12th or something like that on, on fan yep. And they were talking about like his, uh, the barrel rate and were like, was like breaking records and stuff like the age adjusted stuff like that. We didn't see that in, in, in Bradenton, he he put up very, very, I guess the only way to say it's like bad exit velocity numbers in in uh, in Bradenton. So like, maybe uh, he's still still eighteen. He could still fill out on that, but at this point, I kind of feel like maybe Severino's more of the power over the hit, and maybe De Los Santos has is a little more athletic with chance with a little more contact and stuff like that. The power potential they say is there. We'll just have to kind of wait to see if it it comes at this point.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to have to question where I have him in my top 20 now. But moving on to number 26, another trade deadline piece from last year. Hopefully I'm saying this right. S2R Suaro? Outfielder, 18-year-old switch hitter? Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's as, as right as probably I would say it. <laughs> yeah, okay. we are very good at this. All right, so he came over for yeah. the Padres, part of the the return for G Man Choi, Rich Hill, uh, listed at 6'5, 180 pounds. Makes me immediately self conscious, but he has some very strong raw tools. Another 2022 international signing again, not a huge sample size, 95 total games, all at rookie ball, 700 OPS in that time. But after the trade, went to Complex League. 58 plate appearances, even 12-12 strikeouts, walk ratios. Uh, again, very projectable, very tough to say definitively, but given uh, his age, his size, expect the strikeouts. Again, small sample. This, it's going to happen with these international signings. Um, mm-hmm. It's promising to see the potential with the plate discipline. Am I reading in too deep, or is he someone that y- you think is a a set top 30 and and could rise.
1: He's the kind of, so like, I I mentioned this to a lot with like uh, your Danny last year was like, you you know, when you sign these international kids, you're, you're, you're really doing nothing but projecting. And there's, there's like a certain look that you want that like you immediately gravitate to. And I think Suero is that kind of guy. It's like you look at him and like, yeah, that's that's what I want to – that's the kind of kid I want to sign because when he fills out, when he grows and when he reaches, you know, adulthood and, and, and whatnot, he's going to be the guy with everything. Like they talk about his raw power. They talk about his speed, his potential to play center field. Um, I think he was – uh, MLB pipeline picks like a player every year who, who they think is going to break out. And, and I'm fairly certain that they picked uh, SR Swero for that. So I think, I think it was, um, is it Kevin Alcantara, the, the outfielder in the cup system. And they they put a lot of comps on him and, and he's really starting to, to rise up the rankings and stuff like that for his length and his speed and, and stuff like that. So, Okay, he he's so, definitely one of those guys that like has the kind of tools that you just kind of dream about for a
0: baseball player. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree on that. Uh, I don't I definitely don't follow other systems, so I'm not familiar with Alcantara or uh, mostly just like the top prospects for other team yeah. systems. And uh, also, if anyone's watching on video, I've got my little dog in the room with me, so needed to <laughs> tend to her for a second, but. Luckily, Murph was providing some really quality info on Swarrow, if that's how you pronounce it. So, is it, um, given that he's 18, is he someone who, like Severino, potentially gets an aggressive push to Bradenton for the upcoming season? I think, I think
1: they're, they're kind of routes and all that stuff. And, like, it probably be nice to, you could probably see, I could probably see more of a scenario where, like, Severino starts in Bradenton. But, like, worst case scenario, maybe they start the year. In an extended spring training, they get a couple weeks in in uh, the complex league, and then you kind of bump them up to to Bradenton, kind of like what they did with De La Santos. Let them, you know, work their way slowly to it. I mean, there's really really no rush if you want to give them another year and stuff like that. They're both more in on the raw tools side of things right now, so it's one of those things. Like if if something clicks, then then yeah, you can see them working their way to Bradenton quick. But if they need, like, another year to kind of work things out, they
0: they could probably – it wouldn't hurt them to stay in in the complex all year. So Sure. Could definitely see it. So pivoting, number 25, another guy. Raw tools hasn't shown up yet, but it's definitely there. Tony Blanco, Jr., they've got him listed, first base, outfield. Like I said, this week is not all recent international signings, but it's going to be a good – Portion of it. So Blanco, top signing from 2022. 18, listed at 6'6, 243 pounds. Just like beefy dude. Ton of power potential, uh, obviously, but uh young, a lot of swing and miss, 40 games last season at DSL, 157 plate appearances, 59 strikeouts, uh 37.6% rate. Not great there. Did post a 10.8 walk rate. Big bat, fangrafts has future grade on his power at 70. Definitely want that K rate to go down, batted ball events to go up. Is Blanco being overly cautious at the plate, or does he have a hole in his swing?
1: So I think, so like it's sometimes the info that we get from the Dominican League, There, it's few and far between it, that we get and all this. But I do remember listening to Baseball America, their podcast about the top 10 prospects in the system. And they were talking about Blanco. Um, they basically said his exit velocity. He might have maybe the most raw power in the minors right now. I think they said like his exit velocity. Number, he like averaged ninety two miles an hour, but he probably has like a thirty grade hit tool. And and if you're already having those kind of swing and miss issues in the Dominican League. Where probably a good portion of the pitchers he's facing are never gonna come to the United States, then there, there is probably some legitimate concern. But having him just on the power alone, I think is enough to carry him up most charts. And like if if you're if you have him, if anyone has him like ranked and rated and stuff like that, I don't blame you for it just because that, that power, if he's already averaging 92 miles an hour as far as exit velocity. That's that puts him like top top tier, like ninetieth percentile and above as far as major league hitters. Like there, there are only a few major league hitters who hit, who do that kind of stuff, and we're talking about a seventeen year old kid in the Dominican. So, the the power's there. It's but if it's a thirty grade hit tool right now, I mean obviously that can improve, but yeah, it's it's gonna he's gonna live and die by the power
0: kind of thing. With, with that right now all right and given that you know being dominican summer league not too much info we can glean from the raw numbers as far as like what he needs to improve is, is this a guy who i mean just based on the build and 6'6 243 is he someone who if he slimmed down if he i don't want to like fat shame a prospect i'm just saying like is this someone who needs to get more athletic less move on. Kind of build. I, I I think he was.
1: I think you're like they say. They they you know they signed him, and I'm pretty sure when they signed him, they said like outfielder. But I I think he was always kind of heading towards like the first base kind of kind of thing, first base only profile. So I don't know if it's a matter of him like you know slimming down or anything like that. I think it's it's more of a matter of pitch re- recognition and just learning how to adjust at the plate to handle handle those kind of pitches. And, like, he'll see more of it when he comes to the United States. I, I would imagine that that he's probably in the complex league this this upcoming year. They'll probably pr- protect him pretty well and, and kind of give him some playing time in here. The Pirates, they love doing, like, their their backfield work with the, the prospects. So there, there's some times to where, like, you know, someone like who there's a lot of hype with him coming over. He didn't play as much, but like he was always at work at the complex and stuff like that. So I can kind of see a scenario with that with him, with uh, Blanco, just to kind of get him adjusted to like learning how to recognize spin and and that kind of stuff. And then really kind of let him loose maybe the the following season, like in 2025
0: kind of thing. All right. I mean, eager to see it, like you said one of the best power tools in the minors and any level of the minors, any system. So the hope is he gets that figured out, but we're going to move on to number 24, which is Charles McAdoo currently listed second base outfield. I think he's played a couple other positions there, but drafted 13th round 2023 out of San Jose state went straight into low a Bradenton last year, 28 games, 114 plate appearances. Triple slash of 302, 412, 510. Walk rate just under 15%. Strikeout rate of 19.3%. Age 21 season. Not a huge sample size. Like I mentioned with Sightler, he's playing against younger and likely inferior competition. However, he has a little bit more defensive flexibility. His line drive rate was uh, just above 30%, 319 so, uh, I'm just asking you outright on this. Should we buy or sell on Macadoo?
1: So I, I actually really like the way that you phrase that because one thing that I think I have learned over the last couple of years is that with these kind of kids, I probably don't buy into too much of what he's doing until I see it done in Altoona, which means that I'm not saying this year's kind of a, Toss away, but if he goes to Greensboro and hits 20 home runs, I'm probably not going to jump out of my seat and start banging the table, the table for him because I, I, I'm going to want to see it in, in Altoona at a more advanced level first, because like fool me once with Greensboro and shame on me. But like at this point, I think there's, there's a very clear trend going on when it comes to Greensboro and, and the way that we evaluate our prospects at that level or the way that, you know, the prospects are being evaluated, both on the hitting and pitching side. That being said, I didn't know too much about Magadu whenever they first drafted him, and, you know, he came in and was just, like, raking. I think he got hits in, like, his first five or six games and, like, for first eight or nine. Like, he just can't. He just started knocking the cover off the ball, like, immediately. And I my first thought is, okay, well, he's a college player going to single A. That's probably not a big deal and then i started doing a little more research for him for an article i wrote and like he was a preseason all-american at second base going into the year like he, he he there was a a lot just off the pedigree and some of the stuff they were saying and the stuff he did would actually make me take a step back and think like okay well i mean maybe maybe they're maybe they're onto something with it or you know, did 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 a bunch of teams miss by not taking him earlier and stuff like that? So <laughs> I I feel like there can be something there. It's just with with the college kids, it's so hard after the, these last couple of years watching them in the system to get too excited for them until they get to Altoona and start doing it. Then because I've we've seen it too many times to where they get to Altoona and it's just a completely different game there, and you can tell that. We
0: hung on too tight to their numbers at Greensboro. So is is it a problem with college hitters? And I don't know. I can't speak to other organizations, but for the Pirates, a lot of the time they maybe have a couple of days, a week or two at complex league after draft, and then go into Low A. Is it more advantageous to get them straight to Greensboro, where the competition is a little bit more comparable to their skill level? Or is it better to have them go in and slowly, kind of get adjusted to playing almost every day? They play three days a week in college rather than mm-hmm. be able to gauge their skill level that quick.
1: I think, I think when you look at them, like when you talk about after they immediately get drafted, like, like with McAdoo, like last year, I, yep. I, I think Bradenton's a good place to start because you have the complex there, you have all these extra coaches and all these extra eyes there. That if, if you, could, and it's just about getting your feet wet, kind of feeling what it's, what pro ball feels like, what the day-to-day thing is. And then also there's all these other coaches here that can be like, okay, well, we're going to pull you out of Bradenton now. We're going to send you back to the complex, but that's just because we're going to work on a couple of things. And then Greensboro is really their first chance to kind of get out on their own and then kind of do their own thing and, and do the day-to-day grind and stuff like that. So I I like to start out in Bradenton with with like the college kids and stuff like that. I don't think it stunts their development with it. I think it's more of a a team collective thing as far as, okay, well, this is what they're struggling with, and it's up to the development staff and the player to come together to kind of find what they're getting stuck with when they get to Altoona and try to get over the hump. So –
0: But so because for a lot of organizations, the big jump is at least it used to be double A AA to AAA, and obviously triple A to the majors is like the biggest mm-hmm. goal. Why is it so often happening that and this isn't going to be related to any of the players we're talking about today, that they have such a drop off with these players going from Greensboro and then when they move to Altoona, they just completely fall off. And I know hitter-friendly park. I think the the Sally League is a very hitter-friendly league overall. But even outside of the home run, shouldn't the like, ability to hit for doubles and, and hit for average in general be able to translate so that we're not having so many guys like you mentioned Mason Martin, Matt Gorski, Matt Frazier, um, just a number of, of players who just drop off considerably in that.
1: I think it's I think it's when you when you look at it, um, the first real jump, like if, if you if you can pitch well in Double A, there's generally a a good chance that you can do it in the majors as well. Especially now when they started to condense the minors, they they got rid of a bunch of rookie leagues and stuff like that. So now now I just think it's. Double A is really the, and I think Charrington has said it too, really like once you can do it in Double A, they, they feel pretty confident with you being able to, to do it in the majors. I, I know that's not his exact words, but it, it feels like that's the kind of vibe that he gets. I get whenever he talks about it. they like, once you can do it in Double A, you can do it in the majors. And and that's just really the, the, the big jump. The pitchers are a lot more advanced there. They you know what they're doing. You get a lot of like career organizational guys that have just been doing it for, for a very long time and they just know how to pitch better. And they they just know the ins and out of the game and, and how to get hitters out better. And they just, some of the hitters get up there and, and they get exposed for it. And, and they, they're just not making the, the adjustment that's needed. And that's, I mean, partially on, I don't want to say on the player, but like it's, it's up to the pitching coaches and the organization to, to identify what's going on here and, and, and have them
0: make the, the proper adjustments. Yep. Definitely a big jump overall, big development hurdle for these players and for these coaches to have them adjust overall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm going to move on to number 23 on this list, which is, uh, another international signing, Shailen Polanco, outfielder. So last international signing for this episode, Polanco, highly touted signing, 2021 class. Parts gave him a $2.35 million bonus. Spent significant time on the injured list last year. Hasn't posted, like, blow you away numbers in the box score. 12 home runs, 303 plate appearances with shoulder issues, you know, intermittently there is, is pretty nice to see. I'm getting some like Gregory Polanco flashbacks with the shoulder issues, but uh, this, the strikeouts are a bit high. Hugely athletic, and when healthy, really high ceiling. FanGraphs has him slated for Greensboro in 2024. What are your thoughts on Polanco, and will he start the season in Greensboro given the? I think he had what 12 games last year, something like that. He he, he missed he missed the
1: last couple couple months. I think, he came back. Yeah, he he came back and um, played a cu- a game or two or something like that, I believe, and and then and then got re injured himself or something like that. Um, but when he was healthy, he was maybe one of the funnest players to watch in, in in the system. Like he, if he had stayed healthy the entire season, he may not have got it because he he went through like a pretty pretty downward slope at one point. But like, at there are times where he was pacing towards like a twenty twenty season. And we're we're talking about like a nineteen year old in, in single A, so like the speed is yep. there, the the power he shows in in flashes and stuff like that. Like you mentioned, the, there's a little swing and miss to his game. He's a really good defensive center fielder. He's you can make a case outside of maybe Matt horsky the best defensive center fielder in the system right now, um, has played all three outfield positions as well. The arm's pretty good. It for for him, he's. I feel like he's right there to maybe being able to make take that next step as a prospect. It's it's gonna come down to the 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 swing and miss stuff. If if he can make a little more contact, then then that that can really send him to, to the next level that we want to see from him.
0: Yeah, definitely hope to see because like there's so much talk about him. Uh, coming out yeah. of the international signing, and I think last season yeah. getting to see him, it was seventy games. I don't know why I said twelve; that was way yeah. off. Um, <laughs> but definitely, um, are there any issues? Because I think he had multiple stints on the injured list. I don't know if they were oh. all due to the shoulder. Are there any long-lasting I concerns? I I haven't heard anything. I know one thing: he
1: he was originally injured. I believe he was sliding into second, and he came up. And you can tell he was in pain, like immediately with it. And he left, but he—if I remember correctly—he stayed in the game until the end of the inning, and then he, they pulled him. So, okay. if, if that was the shoulder that he hurt, there, I don't—I haven't heard anything about any long-lasting thing with it. I guess we'll have to see going into next year. But
0: so, so uh, a Polanco who injured his shoulder sliding into second. This is yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I a little right. familiar. Yeah, I might have triggered some change with that with that one. My bad. <laughs> there, well, because here's the thing: I said for years, when like back in the the 2013 2015 period, to Ed, my co-host that you who you know, um, that Polanco might have better long term upside than Marte or McCutcheon at that time. And yeah. Ed always laughed off, and he's he's still like, "Oh, you were you were so wrong about." And I was like, "Man, he was so athletic. If he didn't mess up his shoulder,
1: oh yeah, I'm really. I think I think I would have put myself in that boat too. That I think Gregory Polanco maybe had more upside than 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 Marte or, or like he could have approached like a McCutching type level. It's just sometimes they don't reach the level that they're supposed to, and then you have injuries like that too that further."
0: Bring them down a match or two. Yep. And then they end up playing overseas. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna, gonna get back to the present. Try to hope for the best on these <laughs> prospects. Hope that I'm hitting hitting a little bit better on these uh these days with number 22. High floor with this guy, I think. It's Jack Brannigan third baseman, 2022 third round pick out of Notre Dame. Posted solid numbers in 2023, 49 games in Bradenton with an 849 OPS. Uh, jumped up to Greensboro, 173 plate appearances, over 38 games, had a 299, 382, 605, triple slash, 12 home runs, strikeout rate was high, 33.5%, and then he went to the Arizona Fall League, looked very overmatched there. But the bat has popped. Defense at third is rated at or, like, among the best, at least, in the system. AFL is kind of a mixed bag as far as like who you're facing. Do you believe in Brannigan's upside or are the strikeouts too much of an issue as he moves up? I
1: I think that Jack Brannigan could be, if he can get the strikeouts down a little bit, he'd be, he has all the makings of a very, very good like backup utility infielder. And, but when I say like backup utility infielder, I'm talking like, but elite defensively. You, know, you mentioned the third base. I, I, I think he's the best defensive shortstop in the system. Je- just in general. And that's that's and that's considering like anyone who's on like the 40 man roster kind of thing. I, I I think he's the best defensive shortstop the pirates have overall. The arm is incredible. He has great range. He has I think this is the thing that, that shocked us uh the most I, I remember Nola Nola Jeffy he writes on the site with this you know, um talks you know, he's all over Twitter. Talk. We saw a Baseball America report talking about, like, double-plus speed for him, and that just kind of blew us away. Like, you know, you think about the power and the the, the arm and stuff like that, but then when you sit back and watch him, like, I mean, his, his dad was a track athlete at Notre Dame, he, so he got some of the speed there. Um, I just think he's a very he, – He you mentioned the high floor. I, I, I think if he cuts down the strikeouts just a little bit more – he, he's like the perfect backup middle infielder who can play all three positions and um, just really good at shortstop kind of thing. I, I think I think right yeah, now his, his natural position was shortstop originally. They moved him to third when he got to Notre Dame because they had someone else there, and then he just kind of stuck there. But his natural position has always been short, shortstop. They, Notre Dame actually recruited him as a shortstop. It just wasn't until he got there that they moved him. So he his yeah, natural I, position is that, and it's starting to show now too. So,
0: so that that'd be interesting if they do convert him back to shortstop. Uh, I don't know how many games, if at all, he played there last year. But it's, going back to the, he the speed, their, he almost had a twenty twenty season. He had nineteen home runs and yeah. twenty four stolen bases. Mm-hmm. He um he he played exclusively shortstop in the AFL. That's the only position that he
1: played. And then he closed out the season in Greensboro after, like, Chang moved up. He played – I mean, he played third some, but by the end of the season, he was major, – majority of his playing time came at shortstop. So, mm-hmm. at, at this point, if he – the only reason he doesn't open – if he goes to Altoona this year, the only reason he isn't the opening day shortstop there is because uh, Chang is – they sent Chang back to – Altoona, which I, I assume he's going to be, and um, they want him to get more work there at shortstop. So that, that's the only thing that's keeping him from being the everyday shortstop at, at Altoona next year. And even then, I like him more as a shortstop than I do Chang.
0: Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, because if, if long-term, he can be a shortstop, and above average defensively and, and bring this power, like he potentially could move up the charts even faster on this. Um, I don't know all right. They, so I don't know if the hit
1: tool is going to allow him to start probably at the next level, but I do believe that he, um, his, his, his ceilings probably, like you're probably looking more like a, like a backup inflator Like I, like I've mentioned on there. Like a Jared Triolo yeah. says, so yeah, something like that. So I, I think uh, Brannigan has a stronger arm. He's he's more natural at at shortstop than than Triolo is.
0: But um yeah, mm-hmm. so it's something along the lines of that. And that's and again, you talked about his arm. He was a relief pitcher at Notre Dame, like mm-hmm. wildly athletic. Yeah. Uh but let's finish up number 21 on my list is right-handed pitcher Owen Kellington. He's the first of the intriguing group of the 2021 draft class. I'll be talking about the others in the coming weeks. But Kellington taken in the fourth round out of U32 High School in Montpelier, Vermont. He was his state's 2021 Gatorade Pitcher of the Year. Uh, Injury issues limited him in 22. Only 80 innings in Bradenton last year. 3.94 ERA, 90 strikeouts, some control issues. Not uncommon, really his first taste of uh, big league action. Um, if he can stay healthy, there's some stuff to like, starting with his curveball, which has a lot of drop to it when it's on. Mm-hmm. Murph, final guy today, what can you tell me about Kellington?
1: Uh, I I really like Kellington. I'm a, I'm a really big Kellington guy. Um, you, you mentioned the curveball. The curveball is really good. His changeup, I think, has plus potential um, as, as long as he – the, the biggest thing with him is like want to see the fastball velocity creep up a little bit he has great shape on it the, the induced vertical breaks really good uh, all all the other metrics look really good on it and he had some success with it up in the zone despite the velocity It's it's just working on the command and like if he can be a guy that can be 92ish the majority of the time like he he's all of a sudden a guy in the system uh, on there like you said the curveball he throws a slider the changeup's really good started throwing a cutter later in the season to kind of offset the the fastball especially with the velocity and stuff so I I'm really big on Kellington. It, it's it's gonna come down to the command and if you can add a little bit with the fastball and
0: keep that velocity through an entire an entire season. Which we haven't really gotten too many too much as far as like nah, an opportunity yeah. to see how he holds up. Um yeah. it, given this uh system's proclivity for adding a sinker, is he someone who because of the reduced velocity is they want to do that? Or you mentioned the two seamer, which you know, like cutter sinker is somewhat similar. I
1: can I can see something like that. Like someone like uh, Michael Kennedy, I I noticed in some of the games that I saw with him, he'll throw like his four seam up in the zone at which, you know, that has good movement and and that, you know, all the same stuff with that. The velocity isn't as, uh, you know, it's it's higher than Callington's, but it it isn't overly great. I mean, he's left-handed, so it's a little bit different, but he also in turn throws like a two seamer, sinker, whatever you want to call it, down in the zone as well to kind of change the eye levels with the velocity and stuff. And he he had obviously he had a lot of success with it in the complex league last year, so maybe if you want maybe that could be something that can work with Kellington as well. Have him throw the fastball up because um, because he gets a lot of good late movement on on it and and stuff like that, and then kind of use the because you could also throw the changeup off of the the sinker as well because. They'll have like similar uh, break and stuff like that, so that could be something that can work. I'm sure at his age and stuff like that, you can still kind of tinker around with some stuff and 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 everything.
0: Yeah, I'm not a pitching coach. I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, hopefully, yeah. I hit on at least some of these guys, and they they <laughs> uh, never know if they're if they're going to make the majors, if they're even going to rise up through the system. Any guy who isn't being talked about enough. Who's, who's not on like top 30 lists who you like. There is one guy who
1: like, if, like on the spot, one guy that I, I always like hyping up from, and I saw him play a lot in Bradenton is Omar Alfonso. Um, we talk about like uh, Polanco and, and, and stuff like that and his upside and everything like that. Alfonso put up elite contact numbers in, in, in Bradenton. He put up better exit velocity numbers than Polanco. He plays a really good defensive catcher and stuff like that. And he was also nineteen years old playing in single A as well. So he's he's a lot of he's the type of guy if you take like the exit velocity and the chase rate and and some of the contact rates and, and stuff like that. And you do like a player A, player B kind of thing, you between him and Polanco and I think ninety percent of people will take the well, it's a, probably probably higher than that. We'll take Alfonso's numbers over what Polanco did last year. So he's the guy that I'm really looking forward, looking to he possibly making like a, a decent sized jump next year.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting. Really strong walk rates too. Sixteen point five percent in mm-hmm. fifty two games at Bradenton. Um, yeah, would like to see some of that that power and that being a lefty. I think will show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in greensboro but i'm assuming he's gonna it, stay at Bradenton. i could see him starting
1: in Bradenton again you know he'll just he'll be 20 this year so it's still 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 young um probably someone who starts and then makes like a mid-season mid-season jump up to to greensboro it's just very good and they had him playing some first base last year too because they really liked uh giovanni plancher as well at catcher so those two yeah. Those two were split in time at catcher. They just um wanted to keep Alfonso's bat in the lineup. So they they kicked him over to first base for a little bit, but he's a very capable catcher um throughout. I think it was well over 30% of the attempted base stealers in in Bradenton. So really solid catcher, solid hitter, um 19 years old, plays a premium position. Just I, I, me personally, I, I I've, I've really enjoy watching him play. And he, he's
0: someone I'm really high on that I don't think anyone really talks about yet. No, I had seen his name, obviously, going through roster resource, but wasn't someone who I had mm-hmm. given too much time to. So I'm definitely going to have to take a second look. But that's going to wrap it up for all this week's episode. I'll be back with hopefully another guest for next week's episode talking about picks 20 through 11 for the ranked Pirates prospects. Thank you, Murph, for jumping on with me this week. If you don't already, subscribe. Get email notifications. Bucks on deck. Uh, lot. You guys are posting like five articles a day. I'm constantly getting stuff in my email about it. Uh, it's, it's just a great resource for information. And you guys have just a, an awesome stash of writers there working for you. Bunch of friends of the show yeah. anyway, too. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mentioned the YouTube earlier. Anthony Murphy 338. Definitely check that out because you'll post videos all throughout the season for prospects. You do, Mm -hmm. I think, weekly recaps on like what's going on in the minor leagues for each team. Yeah, Definitely something Mm -hmm. that uh, hopefully you're going to continue this year. I definitely enjoy getting those videos. And then, of course, follow them on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, double underscore Murphy88. You can find me there at 412 Double Play. Continue listening to the show, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts wherever you hear your podcasts. Uh, I know I mix it up when listening to my favorite podcasters. So subscribe. So you get notified when we drop our new episodes, check out the work for myself, some of the fellow podcasters at steelcity.com. I'll have that link below. We're also writing tons of articles um, as, as we're kind of uh, building up our base. there, getting busier with articles uh, busier than ever as the season's kind of ramping up. So from all of us here at the 412 double play podcast, thank you for joining us and let's go bucks.